Can you hear me? Great, okay. Uh, great, so as Rich said, my name's Vicky. Um, I've been part of the staff team here at Mosaic for just under three years now. Um, and I thought since it's the first time that I've preached here on a Sunday, I would start by just sharing a few facts about me um, so that you feel like you get to know me a little bit better. So um, the first thing you should know about me is I have a strong aversion to sweet corn. I... The taste, the smell, the texture, I just can't stand it. And um, my poor husband, Matt, hits one of his favourite foods, and so he's had to sacrifice that for the sake of our marriage. So um, (laughs) if you um, share Matt's love of sweet corn, or if you just feel sorry for him and want to invite him round for a sweet corn feast, I'm sure he would really appreciate that. He's over there (laughs) with his hand up. (laughs) Um, A second thing to know about me is I'm the proud owner of a Blue Peter badge. Anyone remember those? few hands, great. Um, So I I got that when I was about 10, 11 years old um, for a photo that I sent in that was featured in the Friday frame. Um, Now sadly since then I've actually lost my badge so I can't prove to you that I own one but my mum and dad are here tonight and they can vouch for me. So (laughs) Um, and then the third thing to know about me is I'm left-handed but I'm right-footed and I'm fairly convinced that if it had been the other way around, if I'd been born right-handed and left-footed, that the Mosaic football team would have snapped me up like that, but um, sadly it wasn't to be. Um, So these are sort of, for me, what I think are interesting but probably fairly useless facts about me, but hopefully you feel like you know me at least a little bit better now. (laughs) Um, So if you've been around for the last few weeks, you'll know that we're currently in a teaching series as a church on dependency on God. In the last few weeks, we've been focused specifically on the topic of prayer. Um, As a church, we've been called into a year of prayer. And a few weeks ago, Matt Hatch spoke to us about what it would look like for Mosaic to be a joy-filled house of prayer. He said that God is looking for a church that will trust him and pray. Um, But what does that look like in practice? What does it look like for us to pray and trust in God, to pray with hope and expectation and with faith. Um, That's what we're going to be looking at this evening. Um, So I'm going to start by sharing a story. It's a story from um, this book, which is by Wendy Mann, um, and it's called Naturally Supernatural. It's a book full of, thanks Rich, a book full of um, stories of people who've prayed with faith. Um, And so this is a story about a man from Bedford, who was at church one afternoon and discovered that he'd lost his house keys. Um, And he thought he'd maybe left them in his friend's car that he went to church with. And so he asked his friend if he could just pop out to the car park and see if he could find his keys for him. His friend went, had a look all the way through his car, came back and said, I'm really sorry, I can't find them. And so this man said, oh, I'll just pray. And so he just said a very short, simple prayer of faith to God can I have my keys back, please? Um, And seemingly nothing happened uh, until later that day when he went home. Uh, A few hours later, he had a phone call from another friend of his who um, had turned up at, had gone home after church, put his own keys in the front door of his house and found that his friend's keys were attached to his key ring. And he had absolutely no idea how it had happened, no explanation whatsoever. Um, It's a simple story of a man who prays a very simple prayer of faith to a God who cares about our every need, however big or small. 
Um, I'd like to pray for us just before we start tonight. Lord Jesus, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would meet with us powerfully this evening as we think about what it means to seek you in prayer. Prayer that is bold, expectant, and faith-filled. Help us to have an increasingly big view of you, God. Help us to know you more as we long to deepen our relationship with you through prayer. We ask these things in your powerful name. Amen. Amen. So there are many, many stories of faith-filled people and faith-fueled prayers in the Bible. And I'd like us to just have a look at one of those tonight. Uh, It's taken from the book of Matthew. So if you've got your Bibles with with you, please do take them out, um, open them up on your phones. If not, the passages should come up on the screen behind me. So it's the book of Matthew, it's chapter 8, verses 5 to 13. It says this, When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies paralysed at home, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes, and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west, will take their places at the, fe- at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. Now at first glance, this is a story primarily, I think, about um, Jesus's power and ability to heal. In fact, this section, this part of Matthew's gospel contains seven other miracle stories um, which display Jesus's power. Um, But I think the point of this particular story goes beyond that. It's as much about the remarkable faith of a Roman army commander. You see, following the centurion's urgent, faith-filled request for his servant to be healed, we read of Jesus' response in verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Jesus is astonished by the faith of the man who stands before him, saying that he hasn't found this sort of faith even amongst his own people. And so what is it about the centurion's faith that is so astonishing to Jesus? Why is he so taken aback? Let's look at verse 8 again. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. The centurion's faith is one that displays absolute confidence and certainty in God's power and ability to heal even from a distance. Absolute certainty. Tom Wright, a New Testament scholar, has come up with a definition of faith that I think might be helpful for us as we think about this this evening. He says this, that faith is to be firmly persuaded of God's power and promises to accomplish his will and purpose 
and to display such a confidence in him and his word that circumstances and obstacles do not shake that conviction. In other words, faith means accepting certain things as true about God, his power, his promises, his purposes, despite our circumstances. And that is certainly true of the centurion, whose servant situation seems hopeless, and I'm convinced that it can be true for us too. Now, that's very easy for me to say, but if you're a Christian in the room tonight, you'll know that often having faith and praying with faith is easier said than done. Um, And that's because there are lots of things that hinder our faith um, and stop us from seeking God in prayer. Perhaps there's been pain and suffering in your life. Perhaps you've prayed earnestly for years about a particular thing and your prayers remain unanswered. Perhaps there's cynicism or bitterness, apathy even, that's built up in your heart because of these things. And if you're honest, you've chosen to stop praying and to turn away from God for those things, to stop seeking him and asking him for the things that really you long for and desire. But the question that we as Christians need to ask ourselves is how do we invite God into our disappointment? How do we work through it and invite him in rather than walking away so that we can continue to seek him and pray with faith? In the Bible, James says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Pure joy. Counting trials as pure joy can seem inconceivable. Choosing to trust in God's goodness, his purposes can feel almost impossible at times. Our instinct is to look for someone to blame. And if we're honest, the person that we most often hold responsible for the pain in our lives is God, often. You know, um, many of you in the room may already know this, but about seven months ago now, my husband Matt and I lost our first baby at just 11 weeks old. Um, And so this was really real for us at the time, um, really real for me. And um, at that time, the pain that I often felt was so unbearable that I didn't really want to invite God into it. I wanted to blame him for what had happened. Um, At times, I wanted to run away completely because our prayers to have a family had been answered, but then snatched away from us. Um, What about unanswered prayer? Well, Rich spoke to us a few weeks ago about the silence of God. What do we do when we've been brave enough to voice our deepest desires to God, only to be met by silence from him? What do we do then? Well, I've had some experience of that too. See, about a couple of years ago now, a friend of mine was diagnosed with cervical cancer at just 25 years of age. Um, and she was told that the only way that she would survive would be to have a hysterectomy, to have it removed from her body. Um, And when she phoned me and told me, I said to her, she's not a Christian, but I said, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for a miracle. And that's what I did every day. I prayed, God, would you heal her? I prayed, God, would um, would you remove the cancer from her body? Would she not have to go through this surgery? And I was totally certain and confident that, that, that my prayer would be answered. 
And so on the day that she went to see the consultant, I woke up feeling really excited. I was really expectant for what God would do. I was waiting for the phone call where she'd say, Vicky, I've been healed. It's a miracle. I can't explain it. And um, I was ready for that. But that didn't happen. No, she, she called me up and she said, no, actually, I'm going to have to have the surgery. And she did. She had a hysterectomy and... She's now living with the consequences of that and will do for the rest of her life. Um, And I was totally devastated. I had prayed with unwavering faith for her. I was convinced that a miracle was about to happen, um, but it didn't. Um, And so what happened, I became very despondent and very cynical actually when I heard stories of people being healed because they'd been prayed for I thought no that that can't happen that's not been my experience um, just a couple of weeks after that um, a friend of mine and I were in the city centre and, and a blind man walked past us and my friend said to me come on let's go and pray for him let's ask God to heal him and I said I can't I just don't believe that God will heal him and I realised that in that moment my heart had become hard, um, that my faith had been rocked and I'd chosen not to pray. I'd chosen to turn away from God. Um, And as I've been sharing these stories from my life, from my experience, you might have found yourself reflecting on your own experience too, on your experience of praying with faith. What is it for you that stops you from praying with faith? And the question I'd want to ask us on the back of that is, where does it leave us if we turn away from God in the midst of our disappointment rather than inviting him in? Well, in times of suffering, ultimately it leaves us just trying to cope. Um, We do what the rest of the world tells us to do. We stay strong, we stay positive, we look on the bright side, we keep calm and carry on. And we hope that eventually time will heal us of the pain that we feel. Or if it's unanswered prayer that we're struggling with, perhaps you've prayed for healing and never seen it, or perhaps you've been praying for years for that friend, that neighbour, that work colleague who you'd love to see come to know Jesus, but they still seem so far away. The coping strategy might be to say, well, what's the point? I might as well stop praying for that because it's never going to happen. Um, but the problem with these coping strategies is that actually they don't leave us with any, anything lasting to cling on to, any real hope, any comfort to dispel the despair that we feel. Um, in the same way that the centurion came to Jesus asking for help and bringing God into his situation, so can we. And so for the rest of our time together, I want to give us some um, steps that we can take alternatives to turning away from God um, and actually inviting him in. If, if the goal is praying with faith, then I want to give us some steps to help us to get there, even when it feels almost impossible. And so the steps are these. Firstly, choosing to be honest. Secondly, choosing to seek truth. And thirdly, choosing to pray with faith. So first of all, choosing to be honest. And this is all about being honest with God about the disappointment that we feel. We have an enemy. Um, The Bible refers to him as Satan. And Satan loves to call into question God's character. In the book of Job, in the Bible, we see that the enemy seeks to use Job's suffering as a wedge 
to alienate Job from God. And, you know, he tries to use that same strategy with us today by pointing to our circumstances and calling into question God's goodness. In times of um, difficulty, we find ourselves thinking, well, if God's so good, why is this terrible thing happening to me? Or if God is a healer, then why didn't he heal my friend? Or um, if God is so powerful, why is there so much pain in my life, in the lives of those around me and across the world? We see it in the news every day. And these are huge, huge questions, aren't they? But we have a huge God who can handle those questions, those doubts, those disappointments. Our God is a God who wants to have a relationship with us. He's a God who wants his people to enjoy a relationship with him. He is our father. We are his children. And being in a relationship with him means that we choose to be honest. In the same way that we're honest with one another about how we feel, we're to be honest with God as well. Um, About the pain we feel, the disappointment that's in our hearts. And it's so important that we do that, that we express how we feel and process it with God and with trusted friends. Because if we don't, the disappointment that we feel will stack up. And each time there's more pain, more suffering, more unanswered prayer in our lives, the disappointment that we feel that's stacked up in our hearts will eventually cause us to lower our expectations of what God can actually do. And perhaps even cause us to stop, him seek, stop seeking him altogether and to stop praying with faith just like I did when I didn't see the healing that I expected in my friend's life. See, we can't expect to be able to pray with true faith if we don't go through the process of processing our disappointment with God, of being honest with him. But what does that actually look like to do practically? Well, um, we have to make time for it. Processing disappointment doesn't just happen. We have to be intentional about putting it in our diaries even. And um, it's probably not as appealing as some of the other things that we'd want to put in our diaries, but it's so, so important for our relationship with our Heavenly Father, for remaining close to him um, in the midst of our disappointment. You know, after the pain of losing a baby, I was faced with loads of questions, loads of doubts about God and his character. Um, And as I said earlier, I wanted to walk away from him often, but one day I felt prompted to write down how I was feeling, to get all of my disappointment out on a piece of paper, and so I did. I found a quiet place, I took my journal with me, and I just started writing. And I was amazed actually when I started how much there was to come out, how much pain there was within me that I needed to write down on that piece of paper. And as I was doing it, I kept asking myself, is there anything else that I haven't said? Do I need to say anything else? Is there more disappointment that I need to get written down? And once I got it all out, I then started saying it out loud. My tear-filled spoken prayers to God were lists of disappointments questions, doubts, fears. And I can't begin to tell you what a healing process that was for me. Um, We see examples of this in the Bible too. Brutal um, Brutal honesty with God contained within the pages of this book. Psalm 10 verse 1. Why God do you stand far off? 
Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, why are you so far from saving me? Why, my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. And there are many, many more psalms like those ones. The psalmist modeled to us what it looks like to cry out to God um, in the midst of confusion, pain, and anguish. Let me ask, what is it for you? What truths are you not believing about God today? What do you need to be honest with him about? Because it's only by doing this, by expressing how we truly feel to a God who already knows what's going on in our hearts, that we can begin to move forward towards praying with faith. And so that's the first stage, being honest with God about our disappointment. Secondly, choose to seek truth. This is all about confronting that disappointment with the truth of God's word. It's important, first of all, to say we can't necessarily expect to get to this point of seeking truth unless we have dealt with the disappointment first and processed it with God. Um, if we seek to, to try and find truth too quickly, it won't, it won't reach our hearts. It will stay as head knowledge, stuff that we know about God because we've read it in the Bible or someone said it to us, um, but it won't ring true for us in our own lives doesn't matter how many times people say, oh, but God is good. God is a healer. God is powerful. He has good plans for your life. It won't ever feel true for us unless we've dealt with the disappointment that we feel first. Um, and so once we've processed our disappointment with God, we start by seeking and declaring truths about him. And as we grow in our understanding of who God is through Worship through reading the Bible, through spending time with close friends who know him. We learn what it is to take our eyes off ourselves, off our circumstances, and onto him, his goodness, his character. And what's beautiful is that as we do that, he promises to meet with us and to reveal even more of himself to us. And this is so important because we can't expect to be able to approach God in faith unless we truly know and understand who he is. I think the centurion knew exactly who Jesus was. He comes to Jesus asking for help. If he's asking for help, it must follow that he knows who Jesus is. He knew that Jesus had the ability to help him. He knew that Jesus was trustworthy. Otherwise, how would he have known to approach him so confidently, so urgently, with such courage, even when his servant situation seemed hopeless. And so the question I want to ask us is, do we truly know the truths of who God is? Are we able to cling to those truths in worship, in the midst of disappointment and unanswered prayers? Are we committed to understanding more of who God is? Because if we're not, our circumstances will always seem far bigger than he is. And the truths about him will never seem real to us. So we've looked at what it means to choose to be honest with God and to choose to seek truth about him. Thirdly and finally, choose to pray with faith. And this is all about trusting in God. 
The Roman centurion chose to approach Jesus because he could trust him. He knew he could trust him. And for him, his request, his prayer of faith was answered. Um, Verse 13, then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. And passages like these can give us real hope, can't they? They can give us real hope as we step out and pray in faith. And I could tell you loads of stories of answered prayers from my life, from um, other people in the church, from churches across the world, from the Bible. There are loads and loads of those stories. But we know, don't we, from other examples in the Bible and from our own lives too, that not every prayer is answered in the way that we hope and expect. And so knowing this, what does it it look like to pray with faith anyway? In Tim Chester's book, The Message of Prayer, he says this, praying in faith does not mean convincing ourselves that God will give us whatever we ask. It does not mean working up our expectation of specified outcomes until we reach the quantity of faith to which God responds. We do not have faith in faith itself, but in the character of God It is rather to pray, trusting in the character of the one to whom we pray. So choosing to pray with faith looks like this. It's choosing to trust in God and his character. Allowing the truths that we seek to become deeply, deeply rooted within us. That means that our prayers of faith become less about the outcome and more about us choosing to trust him and to know him more. We don't have to get everything sorted in our minds first before we pray. Of course we don't, but we do have to trust in his goodness, in God's goodness and God's character, because if we don't, every new circumstance, every unanswered prayer, every moment of suffering and pain will change our view of him. Um, And what's more, we don't just have to trust in him for now, for here and now. We have a future hope too. The Bible tells us that one day there will be an end to pain, suffering, disappointment in the new heavens and the new earth. The final day of hope and glory is still to come. Yes, our faith is challenged by trials, by life circumstances, by unanswered prayers, but it's challenged to look beyond them to the promise of the crown of life. Romans 8.18 says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. If you're a Christian here this evening, I want to ask, do you have that future heavenly perspective? Do you live, walk, and pray as if you know that God is good, even though your circumstances may say otherwise? Faith is our greatest weapon because it's an invitation into the unseen, into what is to come. Um, I'm going to invite the band back up now, and in a few moments we're going to take up our offering and sing a few songs of worship together, but let me just close. Um, So we've looked at what faith is, what it looks like to pray with faith. Faith means looking beyond what can be seen to the promises and character of God. It means being honest with him about our disappointment, about what's going on in our hearts. It means choosing to seek truth in the midst of it. And it means choosing to pray with faith from a place of knowing the goodness of God and the future hope that we have in Jesus. 
Mark Marks, who is the founder of uh, the Healing on the Streets ministry in Northern Ireland, is someone who's seen hundreds of people healed in Jesus' name. Um, He's seen cancers healed. He's seen blindness restored. He's seen celiac disease vanish. He's seen skin burns disappear before his very eyes. He's seen loads of things. And he says this, I could have so easily been put off when nothing happened. But early on, I made a conscious decision to believe God's word, even when things around me were speaking to the contrary. Unbelief is a lifestyle choice just as much as faith is. And I chose to live in faith. I chose to believe what God said in his word, despite not always seeing what he promised would happen. And somewhere along the way, I came to the revelation that God's reality is greater than this one. So even though I was all too often seeing the effects of this reality and this world, with all my heart I believed that his kingdom was more real than this one. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that God is trustworthy and good? That his reality is greater than yours? If you're a Christian here tonight, let me ask you, can you move forward in praying with faith, not tentatively, but with hope and expectation, boldly, even joyfully? And if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian here this afternoon, a follower of Jesus, perhaps this is a moment for you to take your first step in seeking the sort of relationship with God that I've described this evening, a relationship with a God who knows you, who loves you, he knows your circumstances and who desperately, desperately wants to meet with you tonight. Let's worship him together now.